y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 246. Okay, so a thing happened the other day. Oh, gosh. You know the story. Oh, well, what? Every two weeks, Colby has to get a testosterone injection, and I give it to him. By the by, he told me I could tell y'all this, because I was like, are you sure? Because this is like your personal information. He's like, I don't care. So the other day, I'm going to give him his injection, and he hates it. Like, he does not like the needle. Like, he's like, it's so big. And I'm like, it's not that big. I go to give it to him, and he has a Band-Aid on standby. I go to get the Band-Aid, and after I give him the injection, I drop the needle. Oh, my God. And it literally sticks in my leg. Nope, don't like it. Like, straight, like a like a dart at an angle, oh, stuck fuck. in my leg. I didn't know I all like, that. I was like, it's in me. It's in me. And he did not know what I was talking about. Like, he was like, what do you, like, you dropped it? I was like, yes, in my leg. And he thought it just hit my leg. I was like, no, no it's in, <laughs> your needle is in my leg, in me. I felt extra hulkish that day. <laughs> just kidding. Oh my God. I jokingly was like, I hope you don't have any diseases. <laughs> For reals. Oh my God. I was like, literally only I would do that. Yes. Well, because the needles he used to get with it were the kind that like retract into it. Yeah. But this is from a different pharmacy. And so it's like, you know, the old school kind. And so in my head, like I was so used to the retractable ones. I guess I just went willy nilly trying to get that Band-Aid on him. Because sometimes I, I don't know where I stuck him. Like if there's not a little bit of blood or anything like that, I'm like, fuck, where did I put that? I can't, you know, so I'm like trying to like get the Band-Aid and quickly see where I gave him the shot so I could put the Band-Aid. And I just pulled a carry, as my friend Maddie would say, and dropped the fucking needle <laughs> in my leg. Oh. He was like, what I showed him, I was like, you see the blood on my leg? That's from your needle. And he was like, okay. He was like, I thought you just like dropped it. He was like, I'd have passed out if I'd have done that. Yes. <laughs> Needles don't bother me though. I mean, hell, I stick five in my belly every week for my immune system infusions. Yeah. Needles don't bother me like they did. IVs bother you. IVs do bother me. Because that is the only small thing I have on my body are my veins. It's a whole thing. Do you remember when Donna almost died a couple years ago and she had the blood clot in her lungs? She legit almost left the ER because they were going to have to start an IV for for a CAT scan. I was like, no, you're not. (laughs) Sit your ass down. (sighs) Good thing she didn't. She'd have died. They never go in easily, though. No, they don't. ever. Even when I had to get the CAT scan earlier this year, she was like, oh, my God, it looks like a crime scene because she had to stick me twice and then it... It was just a whole thing. Well, and you're on blood thinners. Yeah. Man, we got some fucking ailments around here, don't we? You know what my new one is? My fingers are freaking raw from taking off those goddamn lights on my fucking pre-lit tree. <laughs> I will never, ever, ever again get a pre-lit tree. What? Mm-mm. Because it went out and that was the hardest shit to get the fuck off. So you just like cut them off or you just... No, I pulled them because they had little tabs and stuff. That they stick to the branches. Uh, oh, like 300. <laughs> like, not really, but it was like 100. Well, they those. say you should have 100 lights for every foot of tree. Saw that on Bab's nose or something, TikTok. It's like an, a late, an older lady that uh, tells you how to live as an uh, adult. <laughs> and so, like, when it's a holiday, she does, like, holiday stuff. But otherwise, she's like, this is how you load a dishwasher. This is, <laughs> that, like, stuff that we should have learned. Yeah. No, I mean, those are just those little tabs. Gotcha. Like, not everything was... Done. And then some had zip ties. And I'm like, oh my gosh. That little pencil tree was on my nerves last night. But now I like it better. I mean, the lights that I re-strand, strung, re-strung, they're not perfect, but they'll do. She said, and her thing is, she does them, um. Up and down? Yeah. That's what I did. Oh, okay. I watched Babs. Never heard of her. (laughs) (laughs) But the 20,000 other people I watched on TikTok, that's what they said. So holly jolly fucking spirit over here. <laughs> You're going to be the <laughs> jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nut house. Mm-hmm. Look, there's these Christmas t-shirts that I want. <laughs> I'm sorry. She just put her hand on her boob when well, she's be- saying that. Well, because that's where it's written. Uh-huh. Anyway, Christmas t-shirts that um, one of them says chest and one of them says nuts, like chestnuts, you know. That- oh, God. Yeah. That was a hard one to put together. <sighs> I hate you. 
I don't. But that I want me and Colby to get. <laughs> Does it point down for him? No. So he has nuts on his chest? It's just saying chestnuts. And I have the chest and he has the nuts. But where's the nuts? Down. Leads to the imagination. Look, see, there's Leads a line. Leads to the imagination. It, look, there's a line of quirky funny and cross the line. But it just keeps it lighter. Uh-huh. You make it seethier. So you want him to wear that over to your mama's house? We could, yeah. But if he had a line, no. Too far. That makes no damn sense. I also want the shirts that say, why is the carpet wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo, from um, National Lampoon's. Mm-hmm. I watched that last year for I, the first time, and now I think it's my favorite. Yeah, I'm like, we get it. You've watched it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be weird this year. Like, I've definitely struggled more this holiday season, like, since my dad passed, because it truly was his favorite time of year. And on Christmas, we watch A Christmas Story on loop because it's on on like tbs and tnt and um i'm like i wonder if we're gonna do that this year because i haven't watched it yet i hate that damn movie she don't know what's good wait did you say it's a wonderful life no a christmas Christmas story story. yeah i mean both i don't like (laughs) well we're not thankful for scrooge over here but we are thankful for patreoners so thank you so much mallory m from wisconsin julie m from california Shannon A. from Oregon. And Lori L. from... Lori L.? Oh! Oh. But no, Lori L. from Indiana. Anytime I ever say something like that, I have to go, Ariel, every time. Please come back. (laughs) If you want more of these shenanigans and an episode shout out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Yeah, that'd be a great gift to give somebody. Now, I do agree on that. Because now with Patreon, you don't have to do it month to month. You could do it for the year and get the discount. And then, voila, they get a year of us. I was going to say quality entertainment. Eh, Entertainment, for sure. I was going to say good, good. And I was like, maybe it's just good. Well, before we get into your story, we got to talk about apostrophe because they're back. The holidays are here and everybody's trying to take pictures for their holiday cards and look amazing. And you got all this stuff you got to think about. I mean, is your shirt tucked into your bra like Donna's fourth grade picture? Does your hair look like uh, you stuck your finger in a light socket like all my pictures? (laughs) But the one thing you don't have to worry about when you got apostrophe is your skin. We've said it before. We'll say it 20,000 more times because we love Apostrophe. They are an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized treatments for your unique skin. Whether you have issues with acne, wrinkles, fine lines, rosacea, hyperpigmentation, all the things, Apostrophe is here to help. But they specialize in all the acnes. So with Apostrophe, you're going to get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear your acne and just about any other skin issues that you can think of. All you got to do is fill out an online consultation about your skin goals and your medical history, take a couple of selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist is going to create your initial customized treatment plan. It's the end of the year. Getting in to see a dermatologist, you're going to be on a wait list but not with apostrophe because it is so quick, so easy. It's like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Speaking about my fourth grade picture, what I wish I had was the skin I had back then. Same girl. But with apostrophe, that is my goal. <laughs> you know, a little bit less wrinkles. That's that's really it. And hyperpigmentation and rosacea. Also, I have very sensitive skin. I think you do too. And Apostrophe really works with you to find the right creams and oral medication that's going to suit your needs. So if you want in all of this good good and getting your cute little bottles with stickers and all of that so you can personalize it, you have to go to apostrophe.com slash creep and use our code creep for your first visit for only $5. That's a savings of $15. That's a lot of math, but it's all good math. So again, go to apostrophe.com slash creep. That is A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash creep. Click get started, then use our code creep at sign up, and you'll get your first visit for only $5. So don't forget apostrophe.com slash creep and use promo code creep. 
All right, well, my story revolves around a family and what happened when they moved into the country. And I'm just going to warn you, there's a lot of B names in this story. I'm going to try to keep them straight so y'all can too. So in 1991, Brian and Belinda, the mom and dad of this story, they wanted what was best for their kids, Blair and Sean. And Brian believed that what they needed was a quieter lifestyle. He wanted to live somewhere nestled in the woods where they could really not have to worry about their kids playing outside or anything like that. That's what they both agreed on. Can we just take a moment, though? Everything is BBB and then Sean. I know. Have you seen those? Oh, God, y'all probably hate us with our TikToks. Have you seen those TikToks where it'll be like, me and blah, 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 and Steve. It'll be like all these pictures of them that are so cute. And then it goes back through and it shows like the best friend that's not it, <laughs> and Steve. And like that person's in all those pictures. That's what that reminded me of. No. Since Brian was tired of the city life and he was very drawn to the country, they found a small town called Slainsville in West Virginia. Brian said it was a real hick town, good old boys, the kind of town that you blink and miss on your road trip. This was going to be the start of their new quiet life. So Brian and Belinda got their whole family packed up, including their dog Coco, and moved to Brian's dream house at 6540 Spring Gap Road. Everything was so promising. It was a good-sized ranch home. Like I mentioned before, it's surrounded by trees. Just a nice place for a family to grow and be safe. And that's how everything started out. But unfortunately, it didn't last too long. Belinda's brother and his family came to visit. Barbara was the wife and Jordan was the daughter. Barbara and Belinda actually knew each other for a while. They went to the same middle school. Well, they said junior high, but isn't that the same as middle school? Basically. Okay. So, you know, I was just like, middle school. Well, it just happened to be around Jordan's birthday on this visit. So Brian and Belinda had planned a surprise party for Jordan. So after the cake, they were all just sitting around the living room, hanging out. Jordan was on the floor playing with some of her new toys. And that's when the first weird thing happened. So they had balloons filled with helium and all because all the kids were youngish ages. So balloons are a must. And TBH, I love a balloon too. Unless they pop. When they're popping, that makes me like, ooh. Yeah. Like a rubber band. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, one of the balloon strings looked like it was being pulled taut. Like, you know how they usually have the curly cue or something when the string hangs down? Mm-hmm. This was straight down, and it was the only one. The rest looked like the typical string. Something else was weird, too. It wasn't up against the ceiling or anything. It was just kind of floating in midair. So it really did look like it was being held by some unseen person. That's why the string was a little different and why it wasn't up to the ceiling like the rest of them. But then it started moving towards Jordan, like it was following Jordan. And it stopped right in front of her. And when they're like trying to figure out what's going on, they look at Jordan and she looked like she was looking at someone else. She was looking towards the balloon, but like off to the side. It looked like she was looking at a different kid, someone her height. See, and I'm like, oh, it was just static holding the balloon. Mm. But when she reached up for the string, it floated up to the ceiling and completely, you know, lost that tension it had in the string. All the adults were like, huh, what happened? But the kids really didn't seem phased by it. The next weird occurrence happened when Brian decided to go squirrel hunting. Blair was a daddy's girl, and she was also his hunting partner, so she tagged along. They went up the hill a little bit because this property has some good acreage, but like I said, it's woods all around, so they could go and see what they could find. After a while of just silence, there is a tree limb that kind of snapped, and they saw a squirrel. They were excited, but then the squirrel was on the wrong side of the tree. Like, it went to the back, basically. So, Blair carefully went up this mound to run the squirrel back into her dad's line of sight. But that's when Blair spotted something much bigger than a squirrel. And she basically was like, squirrel? Because she ran over to it. 
It was an empty van in the middle of these woods. There's no clear path of like how it could have drove into these woods. It was a dense place. It looked like it had been there for a while and it had been burned. Little curious minds have to check everything out. So Blair ran to the back to see if anything was still inside and there was a burned mattress. Now she really didn't know what it was because it was just like the springs and like that frame. But even when she didn't know what it was, she still felt an eeriness. Her dad came around, scooped Blair up because he felt that eeriness too and they booked it out of there. They both shook it off and didn't think much of it later, though. The biggest difference about... Sorry. Mm-hmm. So the biggest difference about living in their new house was that Brian had a new job, and that meant time away from his family. So his new job was at Goddard Flight Center in Maryland, which is NASA, basically. Brian was a carpenter, they had some room renovations, and he said he actually worked on the Hubble Space Telescope room. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. But like I said, it took him away from home during the week, and he stayed at his mom's house because the commute was a long one. But in that small town, jobs like this really weren't available, so he had to work off. And he said that was a lot of the things. It's kind of like when you see people who move out to the suburbs in New York and stuff, like out there and then they had to commute it's because i watched disenchanted okay <laughs> i know i'm like oh that's a very specific example but okay <laughs> but it's like everyone does it they want the peaceful life they want all mm-hmm. of this so it's like well you got to give and take yeah and it takes you four hours to get to work <laughs> right i could not do it hell even when i lived in houston it was like this too much like i had to live closer to work i don't want to spend an hour traveling to work and then an hour traveling home. Yeah. Hell, you living close to work, it still took you like 30 minutes because traffic is so bad. And every god dang time she worked on a Saturday, I would be like, oh yeah, I'll take you to work because uh, your girl wanted breakfast. And so I would take her. Every damn time it would be raining when I had to go pick her up. Every time. I don't know why. I don't either, but I'm like, motherfuck. And I'm like, thanks, I didn't have to walk to my parking lot in the rain. I really am a country mouse because I'm like, she had to park so far away in like a different garage. She had to pay for that parking. (laughs) It made no sense to me. Also, on one of those days that I went and got her, uh, our neighborhood flooded. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, my car had to be worked on. And you know what? Me and my sister Susan, we just found the price from, uh, it was something on Kirby. Yeah, that's where I always got my stuff done. Yeah. Sprayed my ankle there once. <laughs> Stepped out of my car right off a of curb, and I'm talking like bad sprained it. Oh, like, and God. had to just sit there while they were working on my car, pretend like nothing happened. Oh, fuck. Well, I love that place. They were super nice. But, uh, it was like $1,300. Jesus Christ. And it said, makes a noise and went in deep water. But remember, like, it was, it was deep. I was like, go, go, go. I, You're like, I've got the pedal all the way to the floor. <laughs> like, that puddle came out of nowhere. nowhere. And then we were submerged. Like, over the hood, submerged. <laughs> My old Honda. Ooh, Yolanda. She kept trucking, though, for a while. But yeah, it just was so funny. Went in deep water. No telling what I fucking told that person. But he was literally so- no. I know what you told that person. So I took my friend to work so that I could get <laughs> you breakfast. You know I did. But I loved them. They drove me home because it was going to be forever. Because they had to figure out what like the- rebuild your engine. <laughs> yeah. Um. But he said he would like call me and let me know when it was ready, and they would come and pick me up, which I thought was really cool because. They don't do that around here. They do. Do they? Yes. When I had to get my tire stuff, they say, oh, are you going to have someone pick you up? Toyota will take you to work. Okay, well, that's a dealership, ma'am. True. Uh-huh. Carrie always got a retort. Well, it's, they still do it. I do remember that they had Pitch Perfect playing in their waiting room, and I was all about that movie at that time. Yeah, they had the best movies playing in their waiting room always. (laughs) Anyway, that was a squirrel moment right there. Legit. Okay, back to the family and their lovely house. 
Well, like I said before, Blair really loved the outdoors and she had begged and begged her mom to let her camp outside. They had like a small RV thing that you would like hook up, pull with your truck. To a camper? Yeah, camper. (laughs) Well, finally, Belinda gave in and told Blair that she could camp outside in their yard, but the camper had to be within sight of Belinda's bedroom window and she had to keep Coco, the dog, with her. Well, Belinda tucked Blair in for bedtime. Everything was going smoothly. Sean, he had already been put to bed a little earlier. And he was like Carrie. Bedtime was something he looked forward to. So it was a little surprising that he was still up after Belinda had tucked in his sister. Sean did not want to go to bed, which again was odd for him. He didn't want the light turned off. He was whining for his dad. Just everything was not their normal routine that night. But finally, he agreed to lay back down. Well, a couple of hours after everyone had went to bed, Blair woke up in the camper because Coco was being antsy and had that low growl. Sean woke up too and he saw someone lurking outside his bedroom. He ran and told his mama that there was a monster outside his window. Belinda checked and couldn't see anything, so she did the motherly thing by showing him, hey, there's nothing out there, you know, and he was basically, not in these words, Carrie, because I know you don't think, uh five-year-old could say words um (laughs) all right let me see what this five-year-old says (laughs) but this mama (laughs) no but i mean these are my words but like yeah just because he's not out there now doesn't mean he wasn't out there before and he said it was a red-eye monster so belinda was like you know what i need to go back to freaking sleep so she was like aha i have just the thing The magic spray bottle. I was going to say monster spray. (laughs) So she took the spray bottle from her bathroom that she used for her hair usually. And she gave it to Sean and told him that if he sprayed it, whatever he was afraid of would go away. So Sean snuggled up to the water bottle and went to sleep. But remember, Blair is out in the camper. She said that she thought maybe her mom had came outside to check on her like peer in the window kind of thing, not like open everything up, you know, doing the sneaky thing like, oh yeah, I trust you 100%. But then like, you know, trying not to let Blair know that she was actually worried. But Blair thought that's why the dog was growling that that she sensed someone outside. But she looked around and she couldn't see anyone. So she kept her lantern on for the rest of the night. The next morning, Blair was kind of quiet at breakfast and that was not normal because she loved to talk like I do. Belinda didn't know what was up, but she tried to figure it out and make her daughter feel better. So she was like, hey, if you want to, you can stay outside again tonight. But Blair said she didn't like being out there alone. And so they went on about their day. Well, fast forward to Blair playing with her Barbies in her room. And she saw a little girl standing in front of her. Just all of a sudden, this little girl was there. She offered the little girl a Barbie, but she didn't accept or really do anything. Blair was kind of freaked out because she didn't know how that little girl got in her room because her door was shut, had been shut, stayed shut. But you know, kids being kids, Blair was like, okay, well, I have a new friend. And the little girl would appear to Blair about the same time every night and just watch her play. Well, Belinda had seen some stuff and like, you know, Blair's just like looking forward, like smiling and stuff. So Belinda was like, oh, an imaginary friend. Okay. But Blair knew this little girl was different and not her imagination. But she didn't feel threatened, so she didn't push the matter. Well, you can imagine that Mondays are hard for, well, everyone, but really Belinda and Brian. It's their first day alone again, and this particular Monday was hectic, so Belinda had turned in earlier than normal. Well, she had this weird dream. She felt something pinch her toe. And when she looked, it was a little boy at the end of her bed. And he was pinching her toe with a clothespin. He ran off, but she followed him. And the little boy told her that his name was Andrew. And he was just letting her know that he was there and meant no harm. Well, she woke up the next morning and was like, what the fuck was that weird dream? But... Was just like, that's what it was, a weird dream. Well, she was making her bed and she noticed a clothespin on the floor at the foot of the bed. On Sunday, Belinda's sister said that she would babysit the kids so Belinda could have some personal time. 
Well, she jumped at that opportunity and decided to walk and explore the woods around the house. Because again, this family was real outdoorsy. Well, she came across what looked like a small graveyard. Small headstones in a little black fenced-in area. There were two adult-sized headstones and two small ones that seemed to be for kids. And that's when it struck her that maybe that little boy from the dream and Blair's imaginary friend were more than what she thought they were. Later that night, Belinda said that she felt like someone was watching the house. She thought that maybe she was just on edge from seeing those graves earlier. And she finally went to bed, but made sure that Coco slept in her bed with her for some comfort. That same night, Blair was startled awake by something, but she couldn't figure out what caused her to wake up. She did notice that her curtains were open and they were normally closed, so she got up to close them because she just got an eerie feeling. She looked around outside for a minute, and then when she was finally closing the curtains, bam, a face was in the window. Blair jumped and ran back into her bed, and she, of course, pulled the covers up over her head. So she's sitting under the covers, willing all the scary stuff to stop, and that's when she felt the covers start to move a bit. She was like, oh my God, frozen in fear because she just knew that she was going to see that face again. But instead, the little girl appeared. She instructed Blair to stay away from the bad man. The little girl comforted Blair enough that she was able to go back to sleep. Same night, when all that was going on with Blair, Coco started barking, which woke Belinda. But of course, Belinda didn't see anything and just assumed Coco was being a dog and barking at some random shadow or something. But then she felt something touch her, like stroking her hair. Mm -mm. You wouldn't like that? (laughs) Not if nobody's supposed to be there. I bet you'd lean into it later. I mean, after the initial fear. (laughs) And then it felt like someone was breathing on her neck. But again, when she looked, she couldn't see anything. Well, remember how I said Brian worked off during the week? He took their only car. So if Belinda needed to run errands, she would have to borrow her mom's car. Well, one day Belinda did have to run errands. So she and the kids left in the car and left Coco out in the yard, like a fenced in area. Belinda and a woman struck up a conversation and they got to talking about Belinda's house. Belinda dropped that whole little family cemetery in the woods bit to this lady. And she was like, well, either where your house was or close on that property about a hundred years ago, a family lived there, but the house caught fire and killed the family. Oh my God. Yeah. Which would make sense. They were buried on the property then. So that, of course, made Belinda's blood run cold because now this could really mean that those odd incidents were linked to possible ghosts. Like before, it was just a fleeting thought, something she could laugh off, but now maybe not so much. When her and the kids got back, they could not find Coco. They checked everywhere, but the fence was undisturbed, no tracks in the snow. She was just gone. They were so upset because she was part of the family and she was their comfort and security while they were there without Brian. Well, that's sad as shit. I know. Another thing, Belinda hadn't really been telling Brian about all the things going on at home. She didn't want him to think she was crazy. Those are her words. And she also didn't want him to worry more about them and it affect his job or something. So it was a Sunday night and Brian had went to bed super early because he had to get up at 2.30 to drive to work. Jeez. That's why I'm not about that life. I could not do that. But everyone else had turned in early too. So by 9 p.m., the house was silent because everyone was out. And like my kind of out, asleep. (laughs) Yeah. Belinda started to dream and it again had that little boy, Andrew, in it. But this time he was trying to tell her something And she kept following him like before, but was never able to understand what he was trying to tell her. She said that she felt like someone was standing beside her and she caught a glimpse of an older man. But he like looked angry and mean, like a grumpy old man. She was trying to figure everything out when all of a sudden Belinda was startled awake by a blood curdling scream. It was Sean. She ran into his bedroom and that's when she saw... 
He was in the middle of his room on the floor and his arm was twisted in a weird way and it looked broken. She called for Brian to come in and help her with Sean and when they asked what happened, he said the bad man did it. They drove to the hospital as fast as they could, but both of them were kind of scared as to what the outcome would be because that kind of break looks sus. And what do you say? A ghost did it? Right. Well, Sean spent three days in the hospital and when he was released, Belinda borrowed her mom's car to go get him. She said the car ride was the longest because she kept thinking that she had failed him as a parent. She said all those times he started fussing about not wanting to go to bed, the red-eyed monster outside. What if it was all linked to him getting hurt? Whatever monster was lurking outside had finally found its way in. Belinda didn't want to go back to their house, but that was the only option right then. On the ride back, her mom's car started acting funny and then the engine just shut off. Belinda tried to fix it, but nothing was working. So her and Sean started to walk home instead. That's exactly what you want to do right after you get out of the hospital. I know, right? But that's when a car approached them and offered them a ride. It was an older woman and Belinda was just grateful to get in out of the cold. And it was later at night. So she was just happy not to be in the elements with her son. Well, when Belinda told her where to take them, she was like, ooh, so you've heard the rumors about that place, right? And Belinda was like, yeah, the fire, the family, it's really sad. But the lady was like, oh, no, dear. Rumor has it that there is a man who was accused of being a child molester, and (gasps) he went missing in the woods behind your house. So remember how Brian had mentioned the good old boys that lived in Slainsville? Mm-hmm. Well, some of those good old boys had lured this man under the guise of it being a hunting trip. Turns out they were like Taylor Swift and they felt like they needed to dole out some vigilante shit. After the men got deep enough in the woods, they kind of ambushed him and ended up murdering him. Hmm. His body was never found, but his van was left out in the woods. They had burnt it to get rid of some of the evidence, and that was the man's last known location. Wait, that's a lot like this story that I almost did this week that I've already done. <laughs> but thanks to the episode guide that Karen made that's on the Facebook group, um, I knew that I had done it, but it was Ken McElroy. He was a town bully that everybody took their vengeance on. Yes. Spoiler alert, if you hadn't listened to that episode. When they returned home, Belinda was on a high alert, and she even thought that she saw a man outside through the window that was in her dream, that angry older man. There was a scratching sound on the walls. She was at the end of her rope, so she called Brian and told him that they had to leave before anything else happened. Like, it's already this bad. What else is it going to do? Meanwhile, he's like, the fuck you talking about? Because she hasn't told him anything. I know. Tell your partner's things. Right. Well, Brian was a good guy because he was like, whatever you say, dear. And he trucked it home, swung by to get Blair from Belinda's mom's house. And he was like, let's go. And they literally left that night. And Belinda never went back. Like, not even to pack up. Belinda believes the innocent things that happened at the beginning were the children of the family, letting the family know that they were there and that they were trying to protect them. She said the man spirit grew more and more powerful until the children were not able to protect them anymore and he was able to get in. This was kind of unlike other stories where they're like, well, let's see, we don't want someone else to move into this house or whatever. They were just kind of like... Yeah, they were like, see ya, don't care what's here. Uh, Not going to try to figure it out because I'm out. Yeah, which I don't blame them because it hurt their child. But also, she had already beat herself up so much because it's like, oh, well, he was scared and it could have actually been a ghost, not just his imagination, and I never listened to him. So he has spent those months being in torment. Yeah. Is that a word? Yes. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know when words just sound wrong to you and you're like, wait, I've said this my whole life, but is this how you say it? Especially when you write it out and you're like, I don't think that's how that's spelled. Oh my gosh, yes. I have that word cookie that you have. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm like, what is this last word? So I'll get like a hint and I'm like, okay, it's 
unto, und unto. Okay, cool. Yes, yes. I'm like, if what? a word starts with a vowel in my word cookies game, it takes me a century and a half to figure yes. out what it is. I'm saying it's so fucking wrong. It's like when that guy said E-Y-E-S. Yes. And he's, he's like, like yes, yes, yes. And she's like, what's it spelled? Yes. That's the, literally my brain every time. Because I'm like, he's so silly. He should get that. No. I, I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. I now know. Because, but ain't nothing as bad as Carrie's Melto. <laughs> <laughs> if y'all don't know that story, <laughs> I'm telling you, sometimes, like, Carrie is smart, okay? When her and Timmy ever say, do you ever? No. <laughs> I can guarantee you I have never done that. It is going to be something so fucking <laughs> weird. <laughs> like, never. I don't know what they do, but they do some weird shit. <laughs> but she thought he said Melto. No, it's M-A-I-L-T-O. Mel too. In an email. But Melto. I mean. I left that Melto on. <laughs> she well we were both using the bathroom so she sent me a voice message <laughs> and i was listening i'm like mail toe mail toe what the fuck i couldn't fucking breathe i could not breathe. <laughs> every time i see it now i say mail toe <laughs> it makes no fucking sense sometimes i'm so literal yes have a best friend, they said. They'll tell all your shit. <laughs> I know people are so tired of me saying these things about you, but oh my God, like the literal part. Okay, so one night, her brother-in-law's brother is doing like uh, dad jokes. And he said, what's smarter than a talking cat? Yeah. What's smarter than a talking cat? And <laughs> we we're like trying to think and Karen goes, oh, a listening mouse. Because it's better to listen than to talk. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> this is a dad joke, Carrie. Like, no. <laughs> like, I get that you're doing some fucking, like, existential shit. But <laughs> no. You know what the answer was? A spelling bee. <laughs> I couldn't remember the answer. I'm glad you did. Oh, I did. Because that, when she said, oh, I got it. A listening mouse. <laughs> Okay, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> you know what? My answer was good, too. <laughs> Before we get into my story, we got to tell y'all about Care Of because, you know, we love them and they're back. What's Care Of, you ask? Well, it's a subscription service that ships high-quality personalized vitamins, supplements, powders conveniently to your door every month so you don't have to slug it back and forth to wherever you get your supplements and stand there in a line of things going, what? <laughs> That's literally what I sound like when I'm trying to understand all of that. Literally the alphabet looking in front of you and you're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what these do. What do I need? Well, Care Of takes the questioning and the guessing game out of it. And we mentioned that it is holiday season, all the things, but it's also right before the new year. So why not celebrate yourself, take a minute to reflect on everything that's happened this year, no matter whether it was big or small. And Care Of wants to help you celebrate those everyday wins. And the beginning of the year, everybody starts to focus more on their health, try to start the year off on the right foot. And Care Of makes it easy to stick to a healthy routine well, one, when your life gets crazy, but also as part of the getting ready for the new year. But what I like is that all of their vitamins and supplements that you get comes in individual packets that are perfect on the go. You can take them to travel. It's not big bulky bottles. So it's easier to travel with them for the holidays. And it's a flexible subscription, so you can change it at any time. And can I just say that it's holiday season again? And you know what that means for us? We're wearing our stretchy pants, AKA our everyday pants, and we're gonna eat a lot. And they just recently launched their gut must line. So it's all about products managing bloating, gas, indigestion, and weight. Because your gut health is the foundation to your overall health. It influences your sleep, weight, immunity, and mood. So how do you use Care Of? 
You take a short but in-depth quiz about your lifestyle, your health goals, and it makes personalized recommendations so that it takes the guesswork out of what supplements are best suited for you. With a monthly subscription that's going to come straight to your door. And cute little packets with your name on it. Yeah. Which is, you know, look, it's the little things for me. So go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code CREEP50 for 50% off your first Care Of order. So deck the halls, take your vitamins, and go to TakeCareOf.com. That's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F dot com and enter code CREEP50, that's five zero to get 50% off your first care of order. 50 freaking percent. So go to TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code CREEP50 for 50% off your first order. So my story this week, it's not as gruesome as last week. Okay, good. But it's pretty intense. But does it have kids? No kids. Okay, okay. But this was a recommendation from Stephanie H. in the Facebook group. This is a story of Shannon Gale Christian and Hugh Christopher Newsom Jr., who went by Chris. Shannon's name is spelled C-H-A-N-N-O-N. And I've seen Shannon's name spelled that way, but they really pronounced it Shannon. So I was like, oh my God, which is it? You know, I listened to quite a few things about it and they all said Shannon, but I listened to this one YouTube that had her parents on it. And it was like five minutes in before they said her name. Like they kept saying she, and I was like, please say her name. So I know for sure, yes. you know, because a news outlet could still mess it up. I mean, hello, we screw up. I mean, not that we're professional news anchors, <laughs> but you know, I was like, I just need her, you know, her parents to say it because Chris's parents said it, but I was like, tell me her name. <laughs> but then I was thinking like, I wonder if it's hard for them to say her name. Well, say my name, say my name, and get on with the story. Oh, okay. Well. (laughs) Well, because I want to know if she's a good guy or bad guy. So, Shannon and Chris both lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. Shannon had moved around a little bit from Louisiana, Tennessee, Texas. But in 1997, she and her family moved to Tennessee. She graduated from high school in 2003. Actually, she was born April 29, 1985. She was just like two weeks younger than me. So she graduated from high school in 2003, and she was a senior at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. She was majoring in sociology. The story takes place in January of 2007. She would have been graduating in December of that year. Chris was born and raised in Knoxville. He went to Halls High School in Knoxville and was a very good baseball player. Like everybody said that he could have gone on to play ball in college but he was like you know what the college thing isn't really for me he wanted to go to a technical college which is what he did and he became a carpenter i love a baseball player it's the pants Mm -hmm. the way their quads and their knees look in those pants it's just i mean and if they got some good cheeks not like the son-in-law squishy puffy cheeks you mean like (laughs) the butt cheeks the butt cheeks no i know what you mean So Chris was just a couple of years older. He was born September 21st of 1983. So at the time of this story, he was 23 and she was 21. So the timeline of the night was a little, um, I feel like it's a little confusing to me because some stuff said that Shannon and Chris had dinner and then they were going to go to a friend's house to watch a movie. But then a bunch of other things made it sound like Chris had like been at work that day and they were going to go to a party at a friend's house. Now, Chris and Shannon both lived with their parents. So, Shannon was over at a friend's apartment to, like, get dressed, get ready, wait on Chris. And then when Chris got there, they were going to go to the party together. Were they dating? Yes. I'm sorry. Yes, they were dating. But they had only been dating for, like, two months. So, it's still a pretty new relationship. But two months in, Colby and I were already saying, I love you. So, I mean, it could have been very, very serious. I'm not real sure. By all accounts, they really liked each other. On January 6th, this is when that happens, 2007, Chris was running late, so Shannon told her friend, whose apartment they were at, hey, go on and go to the party. I'm just going to wait on Chris here. There's no sense in you running late, too, just because he is. No big deal. I'll meet you there. So while all this is going down with Shannon and Chris, on Chipman Street, a guy lives there named LaMarcus Davidson. LaMarcus was not in a very good place. He and his girlfriend had just broken up. He had no money. His brother, Latalvis Cobbins, had come from Kentucky to Knoxville to stay with him. He had a friend with him named George Thomas and 
a girlfriend named Vanessa Coleman. Now, this is a lot of names in the story, so I'm so sorry. At least it's not all B's like yours. True. Very true. Now, Cobbins and Thomas were homeless. So so they were there to live with Davidson. I'm going to try to just say last names. There are so many names, I know I'm going to screw up. I mean, we don't want a whole um, Paula Gertrude situation <laughs> oh on our gosh. hands again. Because I get real confused. I got a lot of this story from Knox News. They said that Vanessa Coleman came from like a really good family that could have helped her with money, but she didn't reach out to ever get help from them. So all these people are living with old Davison and he's broke. They're broke. Nobody has any money. And he's like, we got to get some money. And his forte was carjacking. So he was like, let's call my buddy Eric Boyd and let's go carjack somebody. So this crew gets this plan while Chris and Shannon are meeting up. When Chris finally gets to the apartment complex, he meets Shannon out at her car. She had just gotten a new Toyota 4Runner, which is also what I drive. And so I don't know, maybe that's why this struck a little bit with me too. I'm like, mine's older. Not that anybody would be like, oh my God, I want her 4Runner. When there's details of these stories that match your life, it just hits differently. But again, they were a brand new couple. So Chris gets there and she's waiting for him in the car. And so what's he do? He comes up to the passenger window, a little smoochy smoochy action. Like, hey, haven't seen you all day. Super excited to go to this party with you. And next thing they know, there are people running up on them with guns. And it's this crew wanting to carjack them. While this is happening, Apparently, a car passes and spooks them, so they force Chris into the forerunner with Shannon and not only carjack them, but kidnap them. And this is where things take a really dark turn. So remember that both of them still lived at home. So when Chris didn't show up that night, his parents weren't concerned because he's a 23-year-old living at home. Like, okay, he didn't come home, see him in a couple of days. You know, he's probably out with friends, whatever. But when Shannon didn't come home, her parents were very worried because she had called them at 1230 to tell them, hey, I'm going to be super late. Like, don't wait up. Okay, she was going to be super late, but she never showed up. When Shannon doesn't show up home, of course, they're calling, trying to find them. Nobody knows where they are. So Shannon's mom files a missing persons report. The kidnapping happened on January 6th. On January 7th, some workers on the railroad tracks found a body. According to one of those YouTube videos that I watched, Chris's parents said that one of the police officers that came to the scene knew that it was Chris's body because Chris was friends with one of his sons and he recognized him from his eyes. Oh my God. He had piercing, beautiful eyes. Bless it. So they found Chris, but... Where's Shannon? The next day, the family's helping police search. Like, you know, just like you do with any missing persons, you're out doing your grid search, whatever. And they end up finding Shannon's forerunner. And when they find her forerunner, they dust for prints and everything and run them. And they find fingerprints that matched LaMarcus Davidson. So they're like, can we get a search warrant? So on January 9th, police go to Davidson's house on Chipman Street. This is actually just two blocks away from where Shannon's car was found. The house is empty. Nobody's there. But, you know, they got a warrant so they can go in. And they find Shannon's body stuffed in a trash can. She'd been put in trash bags with a plastic bag to her head. Oh, my gosh. So now this is kind of the gruesome part. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about like how they found them and what they know happened to them. But while I'm thinking about this, because, you know, I'll forget to tell this detail. After they had kidnapped them and taken them to the house, they forced Shannon to call her parents at 1230 that night to tell them that she was going to be late. So that's why she called her parents to say, hey, I'm going to be late. Don't worry about me. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, they were none the wiser because, I mean, she sounded like her. You know, she didn't sound in distress because she was trying to keep her and Chris alive. Yeah. So when they found Chris's body, he had been forced to walk along those railroad tracks barefoot. Oh, my gosh. We just talked about how painful that is. Right. And I was going to say, if you've 
listened, what, two episodes back when we talked about Tiffany, who had died on the tracks, and her feet being clean, we talked about how um, the rocks around a railroad track are super jagged and painful. So this was really rough on Chris having to just walk down these railroad tracks, not to mention with people with guns pointed at him. Chris had been raped not only by an object, but by a human. He had been shot three times. One of the shots was in his neck, which would have paralyzed him before they came up behind him and fired an execution style shot in his head to kill him. So just think about like the fear that he must have had laying there paralyzed, unable to do anything before they came and fired the final shot. I'm just like all of this. And your first thing was to just carjack them. Absolutely. He had been gagged with a sock that was stuffed in his mouth. His ankles were bound with his own belt. His hands were tied behind his back, I think with a zip tie. I could be wrong about that part. And then he had um, a bandana around his face. And then his head was covered with a sweatshirt that had been tied around his neck with his shoestrings. Now, the railroad tracks that he was on ran parallel with Chipman Street, which is the house that Davidson rented. And that's where they found Shannon. So basically, after they killed him, they went back to the house, got a comforter, came back, wrapped Chris up in the comforter, and then poured gasoline on it and set him on fire. Oh my gosh. Now, I'm still going to talk about some pretty gruesome things that happened to Shannon, so please feel free to skip forward if you need to. So while all that was happening to Chris, Shannon was tied up, essentially waiting her turn in the house. So later on, just to kind of jump ahead a little bit, Vanessa Coleman is going to say like, oh, they kind of forced me to do this. You know, I wanted to not do anything. But she was there with Shannon waiting on them to come back. And she could be fearful of her life. You never know what you're going to do in one of those situations. But she was at that house alone with Shannon tied up. Like, you know, they say that, yes, she got her water a couple of times and all of that. But I mean... She also, like, fixed them the boys' breakfast and all of that. Like, there's some things that she did that made me think she wasn't the victim like she's making herself out to be. So, as much as what happened to Chris, Shannon had it way worse. Oh, my gosh. Shannon was raped repeatedly, orally, vaginally, and rectally. They also raped her with an object that they think was potentially, like, a furniture chair leg. Oh my gosh. She was tied to a chair when she was raped orally and it was so bad that it like ruptured like the membrane on her mouth. Oh my fuck. The medical examiner literally used the word extreme to describe the sexual assault that she endured. In addition to all of these brutal rapes that she had to go through, she was beaten severely. They beat her in the head. They kicked her so hard in the groin that she had like pulling blood. She had bruises and carpet burns all over her. But then in an effort to cover up evidence, they sprayed her down with bleach, not only on her body, but also down her throat. I have no words. It, it was brutal. Then they hogtied her with like ripped pieces of the bedding I don't know whether they thought she was still alive or not. They put her in a trash bag and wrapped her head with the plastic grocery bag and put her inside the trash can. And she was still alive. Oh my gosh. She suffocated to death in that trash can. I can't even imagine. I don't understand how this escalated to this. Because if you're saying, hey, we're all broke. We need money. This isn't going to get you money. I, I don't know. Oh, my God. My heart just breaks. So, Eric Boyd was one of the guys there. But he said, like, look, I didn't do anything with this. They didn't have any forensic evidence to tie him to the rapes. So, what they ended up doing was they prosecuted him for hiding Davidson out. So, he ended up getting 18 years um, in federal prison. So he was the only one that was like a federal case. The others were a state case. I'm going to back up just a little bit too. 
there was tons, tons of evidence. There were fingerprints on the trash bags. There was DNA left from the rapes. Davidson's sperm was found. Cobbin's sperm was found. Shannon and Chris's personal items were found in the house, like her purse, um, some clothes that were in the car, her shoes, camera, Chris's baseball cap, and driver's license. So, I mean, aside from the fact that her actual body was found there, there was plenty to prove that Chris had been there too. They think that he was actually raped in the house. And then the shell casings that were found in the house were matched to the bullet that killed Chris. Now, when police first arrested Davidson, they had found him in this vacant house. And when they interrogated him, he told multiple different stories to police. As they started arresting all of these people, they were all like pointing fingers at each other. Okay, so this is what they, who they were and what they were charged with. So, George Giovanni Detroit Thomas faced a total of 46 charges. He was indicted on 16 counts of felony murder related to rape, robbery, kidnapping against Chris and Shannon. I'm not going to read them all. This this little snippet I found on Wikipedia and like it goes through like all of their things. But Latalvis, I'm probably saying that wrong. Darnell Rome is what he went by, Cobbins. Um, He faced the same 46 charges as his buddy. And his half-brother, LaMarcus Duvall Slim Davidson, whose house it was, faced the 46 charges. And then Vanessa Lynn Coleman, she faced 40 charges. And then Eric Dwayne, he went by E, Boyd, he's the one that I told y'all was just like the federal one that went like kind of like almost like an after-the-fact thing that he helped hide him and all that because they couldn't tie him with DNA or anything to any of the murders. So long story short, they went to trial. So Cobbins was found guilty and sentenced to life without parole. Davidson was sentenced to life without parole. Um, Vanessa Coleman, she at first was acquitted of first degree murder, but was found guilty on lesser charges. And she was sentenced to 53 years in prison. Now, here's the thing. It was really hard to find impartial jurors because like Knoxville is not a small town but it's not New York so everybody knew about this case and it was really difficult to find jurors that weren't tainted the other thing is that because the defendants were black and victims were white um, a lot of white supremacists came out and said that these were racially motivated and everybody was like no, they weren't. They all had friends who were white. Some of them even dated white girls. Like this, they literally, it was like a crime of opportunity. They saw a nice new forerunner and carjacked them. And then it went to this dark place. But it wasn't, they didn't attack them because they were white. So it became this whole spectacle with these white supremacists. They were protesting and then you had protesters protesting the protesters. And so it was just this huge deal. But then come to find out, the judge who was over all of them, Judge Richard Baumgartner, he was forced to resign from the bench in 2001 because uh, he was addicted to prescription pain medicine and was buying it from people he had convicted. What? He was a shitty, shitty human who would take sex favors in between breaks in the courtroom wow and well come to find out for some of his cases he was fucked up on xanax and like was almost like incoherent in some of them oh my gosh so he was forced to resign and then i think eventually even disbarred because like more stuff came out even after all of this so they were like we gotta retry all these people he fucked up yeah. like he was because he was literally fucked up and not even making sense like how can he be like what, yeah. are, what are court words object yeah <laughs> well they're like i object and he's like oh, i don't know what we're talking about sustained you know he didn't fucking have a clue what's going on so eventually they granted new trials for davidson cobbins and thomas because of the issues then it went all the way to the supreme court and the retrials were denied for cobbins and davidson So Vanessa Coleman went back to trial and she got her sentence basically with the new trial. It was reduced from like the 50 year sentence, 53 to 35 years, but it was minus credit for time already served. So because this was like in 2013, so she would have gotten credit for like five years, essentially she didn't get when they resentenced her. 
Okay, so these, according to Wikipedia, this is the most like up-to-date I can find of where they are all incarcerated. So Vanessa Coleman has been eligible for parole um, a couple of times, and it's been denied every time. But her sentence is set to expire in 2036. Latalvis Cobbins and George Thomas are both serving life in prison sentences. Lamarcus Davidson, when he was sentenced, it was to death. And he's still incarcerated at Riverbend Maximum Security. Is that one of the ones that was on lockup? So remember how I told you Eric Boyd was the only one that was like the federally charged one? In 2018, went to state trial. And so, you know, he just had the 18 years. Well, nope. They found him guilty in state court, and he was actually sentenced to life in prison, too. So he should be getting out this year, but nope, he's in jail for life as well. Did they ever say why they did that? No, but, okay, so part of the problem, too, though, was when the judge was, sorry, I kind of jumped back, but the judge had, like, they had all been found guilty, but they hadn't gotten their sentences yet, and so they call it the 13th juror rule, so some there were some legislative changes. The Chris Newsom Act was so that it eliminated the need for a judge's signature on the jury verdict um, of, like, a unanimous verdict, so if something like that ever happens later, they won't have to go through the retrial. And then there was a Shannon Christian Act because they tried to make it sound like in the trials that um, they were like going to buy drugs and all this stuff. And so with that act, you can't paint victims in a negative light. Oh, they were saying they were going to buy drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with that law, like you can't paint a victim negatively to get sympathy for the defendant or whatever. But conversely, LaMarcus Davidson had been convicted before. Like he would had just gotten out when all this happened for carjacking. And so it would actually prevent them from knowing in court like, hey, he had actually already been convicted for carjacking. So it kind of does both sides. So it has some good and some bad to it. But, you know, you always like when you have these awful, awful stories like this, you do like to hear that some good comes out of it, you know, because their poor families had to go through all of those retrials and both sets of parents were at every single trial. Bless it. All those different defendants for those murders. And it's like, that's a lot of trials for those poor families to sit through to hear. I mean, we, it's hard for us to even hear yeah. what those poor kids went through. And then to think that that's your child, you know? So at the very least with this legislation, it prevents those retrials from continuing. Solely because a fucking judge is a douche canoe that is abusing his power to get sex and drugs. Before we go any further, we got to talk about our friends over at Felix Gray. Y'all know we love these glasses. My cute little purple frames. I don't even remember what yours look like. Mine look like very studious glasses. I thought so. Yours were um, like black, aren't they? Uh-huh. They're black. Yeah, because you go very stylish with all your all-the-time glasses. Mm-hmm. So you're like, I let me focus on my editing with my studious glasses. <laughs> yeah, I don't do the sound effect, though. Because you can't. That is very true. But what I can do is wear my Felix Grey glasses and block out... 15 times the blue light from my monitor, from my TV, from my phone. Uh, See you later, blue light. See you later, headaches, dry eyes, all the things. Because blue light is not our friend. All those things that she said, headaches, blurry vision, dry eyes, difficulty sleeping because it messes with your melatonin production, which again, y'all know how I feel about messing with my sleep. Even better, though, Felix Grey has the cutest options for glasses, and you can get them in prescription and non-prescription. So, whether you're a Donna or a Carrie, they've got your options. Big head, little head, again, got options. Kids, you only need readers, they have you covered. What I really like about the website where you order them, obviously, is that it gives you the dimensions of the glasses, so you can be like, oh, that's going to look really silly on my pea head. That's going to look good on my pea head that's gonna look good on donna's melon head (laughs) you're just saying i'm a watermelon because i'm juicy okay well if you want to look as cute as we look in our glasses head on over to felixgrayglasses.com slash creep you're going to be able to get prescription and non-prescription glasses and they're going to give you free shipping free returns free exchanges felixgrayglasses.com slash creep 
That is F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y-G-L-A-S-S-E-S dot com slash creep. C-R-E-E-P. Head on over FelixGreyGlasses.com slash creep. Free exchanges, free returns, free shipping, cute glasses. Be a creeper for your peeper. So see, I told you my story was heavy, but like you said, no kids at least. But they were kids. I know. It, they were very young and literally had their whole lives ahead of them. At least the family got justice. Not that that necessarily helps, but I feel like at least doesn't make it worse. Right. So brutal. Like, I know I'm a broken record because I just keep thinking, like, if you are really in that dark place, you need money and you're going to do something illegal, you know, to get it. And then you veer off and do something so brutal and sadistic on top of what you said you were going to do. I don't know. It's just like, but why? Mm-hmm. Like, I get that it didn't go how they were planning it to go. But if you were going to kill them, just kill them. You didn't have to brutally attack them and rape them and mm-hmm. all of those things. Like, that speaks to who you are as a person. And it ain't good. Like you mentioned, at least good legislation came out of this, but oh my God, just so brutal. It almost reminds me of that case that you did where those people followed that wealthy lady back to her house, but they went to the wrong one. Yes. Do you think in your story, you would just be like, I'm out? Or do you think that you would be like, okay, let's figure out what's in here. Yeah, I wouldn't stay there. I'd be staying with my mama. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like for right now, or we're staying somewhere, we're going to rent somewhere else out and try to figure it out just because I'd, I'm too in my head and I'd be worried all the time. Like if I would ride by to see if it got sold, mm-hmm. I would, you know, do all the things. I mean, I guess they would technically know because they would be selling it, but you know what I mean? I would just wonder too much about it. So I would want to try to protect the next people that move in. But then on the flip side too, that could be a big financial obligation too for them to try to find like what's going on in there. You know, because I mean, I'm sure some of those mediums and paranormal investigators and all that doesn't come cheap. Well, I feel like if they're legit like paranormal investigators and stuff, you don't, they don't get paid. They do it for charity. Well, but... How do they afford, like, their time, their equipment, their, you know? Well, because it's normally not their full-time job. Oh, okay. I feel like, because I feel like when they, can I say I feel one more time? <laughs> Sorry, then all I can think about is, I feel like chicken tonight, chicken tonight. Do you remember that? Mm-mm. Really? Really. Sing it again. I feel like chicken tonight, chicken tonight. Was it like? It was for a food. Kind of. Like there's a little bit of a a twinge of a memory, but not really. But I feel like I've heard you shouldn't have to pay for that kind of help. Now, like shamans and other specialties like that. Yes, sure. Not for like the investigative part. And like you shouldn't have to pay for the church to do it. In my head, I'm like, well, you got to pay for them to do your wedding. I know that's different, but still. (laughs) Okay. Nobody does anything for free. Some people do. Well, maybe they didn't know how to find people. Now, that could be true because it was in 1991. Oh, yeah. It's not like they could just ask Jeeves. I don't think he was around yet. I was trying to think, was my man around? Well, let us know what y'all would do. I really don't think there's a wrong answer to it because you got to do what's good for you. I just know how I am and it would weigh on me. And I don't get good sleep as it is. You really don't. And I don't even know what to say about yours. I'm going to try for a lighter one next week. We've had two weeks of bad. Really three. Honestly, 246 episodes. (laughs) Thank God some of yours are on the lighter end. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget, tell us what you think. Don't forget, check out Patreon and our sponsors. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.